All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. Joe Rust is off for this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you're a new listener to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 396 points, or 1.1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 59 points, or 1.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 322 points, or 2.3%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 12.3%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 11.1%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 4.2%. You have to love the month of May, don't you, Jeff? Well, you you know, we don't like to use that that old Wall Street saying, uh, sell in May and go away. Um, it hasn't it hasn't always worked. We should probably get an article and see how many times in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years that sell in May and go away has been a successful investment strategy. I don't think it, it definitely I don't remember it working in 2020. I don't think it worked in 2019 oh. either. I mean, we're you know, for the month. Right. If the month ended on Friday, the S&P would be down two tenths of a percent if the month ended on Friday, but we're only halfway through. We're halfway through the month and we're halfway through the second quarter uh, of uh, 2021. And with the S&P up 11.1%, I mean, that if the year ended today, we'd say it was a good year. Yeah, it was a good little bit above average year. Nothing, nothing to complain about. And, and as we've talked on the past couple of weeks, here on Money Wise is that we said that the market was ripe for some profit taking and in a shorter term pullback, more of a trade, not a trend. And I know from last weekend show, Jeff, the big the big news of this past week and that we had mentioned to all the listeners on last weekend show was going to be the CPI consumer price index statistics and the PPI producer price right. index. We had, we had said these are these are the things that you really needed to focus on. You know, we, we had, on last week's show, we had just come off that unemployment number that was light and the market reacted positively. Uh, to that unemployment number coming in way, way below expectations. And, and so the next uh, data point that uh, really with the markets I thought were going to pay big attention to 
was the inflation numbers, and they certainly did pay attention to. Now, at first, it's it, it was it was rather quiet. I think we were maybe only down a few hundred points in the first few hours, and then all of a sudden things started to accelerate. Uh, and the Dow, I believe that day was down about 600 points, if my memory serves me yeah, correctly. That's correct. And uh, we made some moves in the portfolio. We had actually made some moves uh, the prior, the previous day, uh, in our individually managed accounts, and we were thinking about making some some moves in the uh, asset builder accounts. If the PPI number, the producer price index, which came out on the following day on Thursday, was also a little hotter than expected, but the market, uh, I guess, was looking for a little recovery from the 600 points down on the Dow that we that had the previous day. And at one, at one time, I think the Nasdaq was down about eight percent off its high, somewhere in that range on mm-hmm. uh, on Wednesday. So it was getting very close to that, you know, traditional. Uh, correction territory, which is basically 10% down off the previous all-time high. Uh, So we made a few moves in our uh, asset builder accounts, the accounts that that invest in uh, no-load mutual funds and exchange-traded funds on uh, Thursday. And, you know, all in all, we're maybe a little less invested uh, if you, in totality, if you, if you take all the, all the assets under management together, but by a handful of percent, and we've been moving some money from growth into, into value. And I know the four stocks that we took profits on, we sold completely out of our portfolio. Several of those were uh, triple digit gainers. Those were a hundred percent gainers for us. And also stocks that we had sold several times previously this year and in 2020, and um, some in 2019, because some of these positions we've owned going back to 2017. So I know a couple of positions that we unloaded. <laughs> oh, we've been hitting that thing like a cash register for several years now, and then finally took the profit, and it was concentrated in the healthcare industry. Right. Um, the healthcare All four of the stocks were in healthcare. Yeah. All four of the stocks. So, you know, in essence, you never go broke taking a profit. That is something we truly believe. It's something we preach on the Money Wise program to any perspective. Uh, any prospective client, any existing client, it's always about taking a profit when you have a profit to take. And that's something we keep a very sharp eye on. And, you know, that money is going to be used. I mean, we're about in the individual stock portfolio, we're about six positions light as far as where we want to be. As you'd mentioned, Jeff, we're hovering right around a 62% allocation on the stock side of the portfolio for the individual stock and bond portfolios. And so now, you know, here comes the research, you know, there's already a list of stocks that have been created and we're continuing to put them through our gauntlet, which is our proprietary vetting process and our screening process, our multi-layered screening process to make sure we have the right stocks that we want in there for the longer term to replace the four we replaced plus two that we'd already sold weeks back that we had yet to replace. And as you mentioned, Jeff, and the asset builders, you know, just continuing to increase the dividend paying aspect of our portfolio, both on the asset builder side uh, in particular with this move where we dialed back some of our exposure to our large cap growth mutual fund, which we've already done earlier this year. And we're just kind of continuing that and increasing the large cap value, the dividend, the classic growth stocks to help mitigate some of the risk that has continuously been felt on the growth side of the market so far this year. Yeah. And, and we discussed making these changes. This is a, a plan of ours. If the, 
inflation number came in a little bit hotter than expected. Uh, we, we had made these plans to, to, to make these moves in the portfolio. So this is the part of the, you know, the process that we follow here at Davidson Capital, <clears throat> trying to anticipate and make changes uh, when the, when, when, when the markets, you know, uh, have these kind of, you know, the, had this kind of change, the C, the consumer price index, the producer price, price index inflation is going to be probably now going, going forward into the, in the immediate future is going to be probably the most, one of the most important things the market is going to be looking at for future stock movement. And we're going to talk more about that when we come back from this first commercial break, you're listening to money wise with Davidson capital management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, Jeff and I were discussing the consumer price index and the and the producer price index, which came out this past week, which was definitely a market moving event, particularly on Wednesday with the consumer price index. And that was something that we had mentioned to all the listeners on last weekend show to pay very close attention to. Now you know, I want to kind of put this into context because, you know, if you watch the more of the conservative, I would say Fox, um, Fox news, business, Fox business, Fox news this past week after the consumer price index came out, I mean, yes, they're talking about inflation, but, and, 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 you know, obviously throwing that all to the feet of the Biden administration, and I'm not coming to the Biden administration's defense by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm wanting to put things into context because I felt that some of the things that were said were a little misleading to, to investors, and, and, and so I wanted to talk about that. Now, when we talk about the consumer price index, it's a year-over-year comparison, so they were comparing prices from April of 2020 to April of 2021. Well, where were we April of 2020? We were in the depths of COVID and the COVID pandemic and people being on lockdown across this country, no matter if you're in the state of Texas, California, or Michigan, everyone was locked down. Doesn't matter if your state was a red state or a blue state. So there wasn't a lot of people out there out and about shopping. You know, they were getting all the essentials. They were busy hoarding toilet paper uh, and other essentials, not to make light of it, but that's what was going on. And so when the consumer price index came out as high as it was, it was a year-over-year comparison. And so you have to put that into context because now we're seeing states open up across the country. People are getting back to their normal lives. Finally, the CDC and their infinite wisdom came out this past week and said, okay, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask to go to bed anymore. I mean, you could, you don't have to, to mask go, yourself. To, to, go, to go to bed anymore? <laughs> yeah, because you basically had to live in a mask or two masks or okay. three masks, you know, to do anything, even in your own home and car. So, 
so now the economy is opening up. It's starting to build a fuller head of steam. People are out shopping. Now they've been shopping online, but now they're getting out. There's just a lot more money in consumers' hands. I heard a statistic on Friday, Jeff, that we have a savings rate north of 15% to a total of $6 trillion. Yes, that's $6 trillion with a T. Now, we've been talking about ingredients on the MoneyWise program that can continue to fuel the market higher. And I was reading statistics. There was about $4.3 trillion of cash sitting on the sidelines. Well, there's $6 trillion sitting in savings accounts across this country. So we as, as a country are awash with cash that's eventually going to be spent on consumer goods and services. Can, a lot of it can find its way into the stock market and investing. So those are all positive ingredients. But the other thing that we have to think about of why the consumer price index is so high, it leads back to the employment report that was so dismal a couple of weeks ago when the economy only added 266,000 jobs when they were anticipating, when all experts were anticipating at least a million. Now, of course, the Biden administration is going to say, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's not our fault. It's not all the stimulus and the trillions of dollars that we're spending and the checks that we're sending out to everybody that's keeping them from not working. No, it's not our fault at all. Well, that's not true. Because this past week it was announced that we have 8 million unemployed people that are still unemployed from the pandemic, but we also have 8 million jobs currently available. So we have the, we have the, the, the man and women power, but we don't have the jobs getting filled, and there's 8 million plus of them available. So some of these jobs are producing lumber, producing goods you know, producing services. You know, one thing, Jeff, that can that caused that CPI number to go up as high as it did was used cars and the used car market, believe it or not. The that, biggest the, the biggest driver of last month's inflation jump was a steep 10% increase in used cars and truck prices. That spike accounted for more than a third of the overall inflation increase and was the biggest price rise since the government started tracking the data in 1953, over the past year, used car prices have risen 21%. So to kind of just put, it, put, it, put a lid on all this and just kind of, again, to summarize, is that when you're comparing consumer prices from April of 2020 to April of 2021, yeah, there's going to be a, a vast difference because we have been coming out of the pandemic for over 12 months. Then when you also have millions and millions of people that have not gone back out to work, even though jobs are available, it causes a constraint on the supply of goods and services. It creates that strain. And when you have that strain and you have the demand, that drives prices higher. This is It all comes back around to the Fed using the word transitory when it comes to inflation. Now, Jeff and I can't sit here and try to predict when this transitory consumer price index is going to be coming down because we don't know the length of this transitory inflation is going to be. Is it going to be three months? Is it going to be four months? Are we all of a sudden going to see the consumer price index come down after these unemployment benefits run out in the September time frame? I mean, more, but September got to get back to work. September is a I long know, way from now. Away. That's true. It's months away. It's yeah. months away. But the big concern and the reason why the market reacted so, so aggressively this past week on the CPI data 
is because it, it leads the market to anticipate that the Federal Reserve is going to have to change their monetary policy. And the first step of that monetary policy change is going to be the ending of their quantitative easing or the monthly bond buying that they're doing. The step after that would be to be raising the overnight rates. And Jeff, you and I know what can happen in the market when the Fed turns hawkish Look back to the fourth quarter of 2018 for your answer. Right. Well, long before they actually do anything, the Federal Reserve will start start talking about it. Talking about it. And we've already spent too much time talking about the Federal Reserve on this week's show. (laughs) If Dad was here, he'd be he'd be. Well, I'm just trying to educate. No, no, no. It's to educate to educate investors. I'm I'm a little bit surprised. I'm a little bit surprised at how fast the market sprung back from what happened on Wednesday. I mean, we're st- we were still down for the week. I mean, we're still down, you know, 1% for the week on the S&P and twice that in the NASDAQ. Um, Can I yes, say I'm- why I think it did? Okay. I think the market recovered as fast as it did because it realizes all the things that I'm talking about. The year-over-year comparison, pandemic to right. coming out of the pandemic, and then all the people that could be working that are choosing not to work no matter what the Biden administration says, there are, pl- there are millions of people that could be working that aren't working because they are getting paid more to stay home. Now, during the pandemic, it's a blessing to those folks to have these benefits from the government. I, I totally understand that. And our hearts go out to the families that were affected so negatively from COVID, not only from losing a family member or getting sick themselves or losing their job. You know, that was necessary back in 2020 and at the beginning of 2021. But now we've got 8 million plus jobs available. It's time for folks to start getting back to work and starting to produce the things that we've been seeing such high inflation and lumber, for instance, being up 368% well, uh, uh, over the last year. Unless the government changes the the bonus, which I think it runs out in September, unless they decide to move it up a few months, we're going to, it's going to be like this for a bit. And so the, the question is going to become whether we're, I think we should ban the use of the word transitory. I think it should just be called temporary. We're just going to call it temporary. How long does this temporary spike in inflation last? And that's why the, this, this particular statistic is going to be so so closely scrutinized here over really all summer long but if, because if it's going to be if a the number doesn't indicator. come down if the number doesn't come down and we've got another month before we get another another number and really the the economists are expecting a 3.6 percent year-over-year change and it came in at 4.2 yeah it's a different it's not a huge difference and it was it was up eight tenths of a percent for the month which was I think I think they were expecting like four tenths of a percent, so it's like twice as high as expected. But you know, the reason car prices have been going up is because of the chip shortage, and the chip shortage is going to be with us for a while. Because if people if they can't get enough new cars to buy and someone needs a car, they're going to be hitting the used car market, and that's going to be driving up the price of those of, of the used cars. But if people can't get a new car, they won't be trading in their used cars. So you kind of got this this, this well, it's no dog surprise. chasing its tail thing. It's no surprise that the the O'Reilly stock, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and their stock has just been doing phenomenal, you know, going back several years now. But but it's important to understand that the consumer price index and the producer price index is a little bit of a potential indicator and a roadmap 
for the Federal Reserve and decisions they're going to make when it comes to monetary policy. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just recapping the happenings of Wall Street from last week, talking about the big newsmakers, which was the consumer price index and producer price index. And I'll just kind of summarize the Federal Reserve came out this, you know, Bullard and Clarida, which are Fed governors, came out and said, look, we understand that this inflation is going to be temporary. I won't use transitory, but I was going to just say a quick, funny sidebar. We're going to ban that word, Kyle. Remember when dad banned me from saying, cog- you know, to be cognizant? He, it drove him insane every single that. time I, I used the word cognizant back when we used to do a live show. So okay. I could just always remember dad's look from across the, across the board when I'd use the word cognizant <clears throat> in the studio. But anyways, yeah. I digress. So that this temporary inflation, the Fed's biggest concern right now when it comes to driving their monetary policy is pertaining to, they're really more focused on employment. And so I think, Jeff, them coming out and saying that also helped the markets recover a bit because the Fed's like, yeah, 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 we know about inflation. It's temporary inflation. It's year over year. They need more data points. I get it. Yeah, we need more data, but we're really honed in now. If we had a CPI and PPI and we had had the unemployment rate at four, you know, well, for the unemployment number, yeah, but the, I would the be unemployment more number last, if the unemployment number two weeks ago would have come in at a million, and we had those and, numbers, and we had those numbers, because see, I, 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 you know, I'm going to be the first to admit that, you know, ladies and gentlemen, on 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 Wednesday, I was, I was, you know, had my hand up and saying the correction is upon us. Right, we had we were down eight percent on the on the Nasdaq. So Fire and brimstone here. Right. We could, we could go, we could go down. You know, fifteen percent in the Nasdaq. Fifteen percent, Jeff. We're take already, take we're your already, bear jacket no, we off. Were, we were already at. I'm talking about the Nasdaq. I'm not talking about the Dow. The S&P. Okay, okay. You're talking about the Nasdaq. We were already down eight percent at the lows, roughly on Wednesday. So I thought, you know, another seven percent could easily be in the car. Just. Get out a chart. Look at the chart. I mean, the NASDAQ has gone from what we said, 6,200, something like that. Yeah, but we were, we were 14, looking at tech to 14,000. Yes, but but we also, as part of, you know, again, it's important for that's all the listeners. That's to a know. double in 14. That's more than a double in 14 months. So it wouldn't have been out of the realm of possibility for the NASDAQ to have a you know, 15% pullback after a 100% plus run in a little over a year. Well, it's, it's, again, it's important for all of our listeners to know we are money managers. We don't outsource the investment-making decisions to another firm. We make all the investment decisions in-house. You're talking to two of the lead portfolio managers at Davidson Capital Management. So every week, and sometimes multiple times a day, 
we're having portfolio strategy meetings. And what, Jeff, what you were talking about was the COVID low for the NASDAQ and where we were able to get up to 14,211, which was the high back in February of this year. Right. But the little caveat I'd put in there when we were having this conversation is let's say COVID didn't happen. Where was the NASDAQ prior to COVID? Let's say COVID didn't happen. Well, the NASDAQ was at almost 9,900 points. Okay. It was still just, under, 40, just under 10,000. It was still a 40% plus move. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But also technology is has been the big driver of growth for all investors around the world. I feel very strongly that it will continue to be. I know a conversation dad and I had last weekend is that when he looks at the valuations, even though dad is retired, I put that in big air quotes, retired, he, he of course, manages his own money. But we also have quite, you know, we also have these conversations about valuations. And when you see the Amazons of the world, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Microsofts, the Apples, their valuations have, have come more along the lines of the midway point between their five-year average. So this past week, there was a lot of analysts that came out in the financial entertainment press, guys and gals that have been doing this a very long time, that their words have weight, saying that this might be an opportunity, not just yet, but soon to ha- you know, start preparing your technology buy list because these valuations have come back and there could be some good pickups. I mean, look at Snowflake on Friday, Jeff, up almost 12%, which was the cloud computing darling that IPO'd last year. And it has been getting hammered this year. Well, good buying opportunity for a company that deals in cloud computing. And so I know, I mean, for some investors, we don't own it. We don't own it. We don't own it. But, but I know with the six stocks that we have to replace in our portfolio, I know the industry sectors I want to, to, to go into, but there are still a couple tech names that I'm salivating over because of this pullback that we've had when you can go in and pick up a good, great technology company with strong fundamentals it's it's sometimes tough to pass up if they have a 25 30% pullback not to take have a little bit of taste of that in your portfolio if they have those long strong fundamentals because well, yes the selling might not be over yet and i agree and jeff i'm sure you'd agree the selling in the nasdaq might not be over just yet well we're we're on the downhill slope of earnings now Mm-hmm. Uh, all, Home Depot is one of the big ones next week. Right. That's about it. The, the majority of the, the companies that, that we own in our portfolios have, have reported. Uh, I know we've, we've got a number of Fed speakers next week out. Uh, we have a housing starts, leading economic indicators and existing home sales. So next week's going to be about housing. I, I'm not expecting a whole lot because housing has been, uh, supply has been so con- constrained. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we may not, we may see some lackluster numbers, but I think it's not not due to a lack of demand, just the lack of supply. Uh, the leading leading economic indicators should should be you know strongly positive. But be a very interesting to start. You know, what are the is the are these the talking heads that are going to be out there? What are they What are they going to be saying? Is there Is there something that's going to get said hmm. about? May mm, we're you know we're paying a closer attention to inflation or are they just going to continue to toe the company line at this point and and say well you know we still believe it's uh 
temporary and we're awaiting further data. And, you know, I think the market will, will react favorably to that. Well, I, I think Bullard and Clouda, who, who are both Fed governors, I think they came out and said, look, the bottom line is we're not even going to be thinking about doing anything with interest rates until yeah, we get I this economy back on track until we get back to full employment. But, Jeff, you and I both know. I heard that in 8, if, 2018. I know, but if they even talk about yeah. tapering, even talk about thinking about tapering, the market is going to react negatively. Yeah. Because the the Fed, as I've said to clients and, and even prospective clients, you know, the Fed has been seen as a backstop to the market, really going back to the financial crisis. And the, as long as they keep the fixed income market, the bond market, as unattractive as possible, that creates the TINA acronym. There is no alternative. So it drives investors into stocks. I, I think – all these reasons, all the things that we're talking about here in terms of the unknowns with the, with Federal Reserve policy, future inflation numbers is one of the driving forces behind the fact that we are not at what we would consider to be full asset allocation to stocks in all of our investing models. We've been below full asset allocation to stocks now since, <laughs> since March, really since March of last year, when we reduced them, you know, and yeah. in, in in during the height of uh, the COVID crisis in March of last year, and have never gone back to those maximum asset allocation to stocks. And I, I still firmly believe that we there, given the environment that we're in right now, that we've got, that, that that's a, a, a good place to be, that that's the right place to be, uh, right now with the, with the, it's, it's all good that the economy's reopening and, and we're getting the mass mandates rolled back and, and more people are getting vaccinated. All of, all of this is good news. Uh, it's going to take time to, to get these, work its way through. it's, it's going mean, to take, take its time, time to work, work things to, to get supplies back to, to where they were before, whatever, you know, whether it's furniture, whether it's lumber, whether it's cars, uh, you know, generators. Well, even, Jeff, Jeff, even services. I mean, even services, let alone just products itself. I mean, some of these restaurants that can't find yep. wait staff to, to, to come. And so they have, they have the same issues there as well. So it's not only on the product side, but it's the service side as, as, as well that they're running into these issues. And it's just going to take time. It's just going to take time for, like you said, to work its way through the system, to get people back on their feet, back into the labor force. And granted, the labor force, I think, is going to be looking different for many years, if not for the rest of our lives with, you know, commercial real estate. For instance, you know, commercial real estate's got to. You're talking about how people work. Pe- pe- Absolutely. About how people work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think the one thing COVID has shown is that people can be more productive actually working from the house instead of having to do the commutes. I don't think all CEOs share your. Share your uh, Maybe not all CEOs, but, but I, I can tell the you a CEO lot of The CEO of, of the biggest bank in the world doesn't. Well, that's true, but I can tell you there's a lot of small, you know, our economy is driven by a ton of small businesses, and so small and medium-sized businesses might have figured out a way to become more efficient and put more dollars on the bottom line of their balance sheet because they don't have big facilities for their employees. Because I can tell you the building I'm in in San Antonio is still a ghost town. 
Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys, I'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we'll have to change subjects because I don't want to get a phone call from dad on Sunday saying you guys spent way too much time talking about producer price index and the CPI and the Fed got more than 30 seconds. So I'm probably off. Uh, I, I probably got a percentage removed from the will after, after this oh show. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we talk about uh portfolio reviews the cr- they're absolutely critical absolutely critical to have portfolio reviews i know joe and i met with a prospective client here in san antonio this past week who you know i ha- i have to commend him the- this gentleman had been spending since undergraduate his freshman year in college investing and doing it all on his own his entire life. Now he's had his accounts at some traditional brokerage firms uh, here and there over the years. And, you know, they would call him and say, Hey, thinking about this position, but really at the end of the day, he would get their information. He would do his own research. He would do his own analysis and he'd either say yes or no, or what do you think about this? And we have, we have many, many clients at, at, at Davidson Capital who were in this gentleman's position where they had been managing their money themselves their whole life um, maybe worked with a broker were at a discount broker and they just finally got to the point in their life where they just didn't want to do it anymore and he was very it was as we have with any prospective client meeting it's just an open dialogue and open conversation of educating back and forth and he said Kyle I, I just can't keep up with it anymore I can't run my business and watch the market and be successful long-term doing it part-time. And I know, Jeff, one of our long-time running jokes is, is that if you can manage your money part-time and do better than we do, we'd like to hire you. Yes. <laughs> we would like to hire you. We are taking resumes. because taking resumes. But, but because managing assets is a full-time vocation, period. You can't do it part-time. You have to stay on top of your portfolio, and this is why portfolio reviews and analysis are so critical because I know, Jeff, you know, you've recently brought in some new clients down at Corpus where you started with the portfolio review and analysis, and you know the part of our review process is to just take a look at the portfolio to give a second opinion, and this is something we do, you know. To, to give that second opinion to see if your assets are working at concert, especially if you're an investor that has accounts at different multiple custodians and different kind of account registrations, and you don't know if they're working together with each other, if they're working against one another, if you have a condensed plan or an investment management philosophy that's a, co- a cohesive, a, consistent a cohesive plan. plan. Yeah. We really look at, look at three things. You've got to look at security selection, asset allocation, fees and expenses. 
those an active those, management. I would say the fourth well, well, is well, it actively managed. Well, I understand, but, but as part of the the process is sure. looking at the security zone, how are they allocated, fees and expenses, and <clears throat> typically. What, I, what we find in the, the large wirehouse legacy distribution system, all, whatever you want to call them, uh, portfolios, is a uh, – portfolios that just have a lot of securities in them, uh, especially mutual funds. And there are certain organizations that seem to focus in their manage, managed account programs owning you know, 20 – in excess of 20 different mutual funds – and if, if, if you're happy to listen to the show today and that, and that is uh, your particular portfolio, what, what, I, what I want to point out is, is when you have 20 different mutual funds in one portfolio, it's highly likely that uh, several of those mutual funds are invested in the same asset class. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, in our opinion, to have uh, a portfolio that has three different large cap growth mutual funds or three different uh, small cap value mutual funds. Uh, it's it's uh, kind of make the analogy. You don't put three quarterbacks on the field at the same time or three pitchers on the mound at the same time. You, you want the, your best, pick the best one, and that's what you invest in. Um, I think there's, a, there's some marketing that's involved in having some of these portfolios built with you know, in excess of 20 different mutual funds. It makes it, it gives it the appearance of diversification uh, when really, you know, or more some of these, these, mutual, these mutual funds that are all invested in the same asset class by and large own some of the same things. And you so see, you're not really getting any, you're not getting any diversity. You're just getting uh, uh, maybe a good fund mixed with a mediocre fund, mutual fund mixed with a, Poor performing mutual fund. There's no reason for it. Pick the best fund, and that's what you should be investing in. But that's not the way the legacy distribution system works. They don't do that. Another thing we're seeing a lot of is is uh, uh, portfolios that own, you know, thirty different exchange traded funds. Just an insane number of 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 exchange traded funds, and. And two or three or four or more of them will all be invested in the same asset class. Again, why? Why do that? It makes it doesn't make any sense. It makes uh, the portfolio more complicated. But I think again, it's all about marketing. The other the other thing that it it's, does it's, it's it also optics, makes the por- it also it's makes the portfolio more expensive. Yeah, because exchange traded funds as well as mutual funds have expense ratios. There are there are fees paid to the to the advice managers of those funds. Now, generally exchange traded funds carry smaller internal fees and expenses than a mutual fund. Mutual fund is where you could really you know, run the cost up of a portfolio by having 22 mutual funds. I can almost guarantee you you're probably paying in excess of six tenths of a percent in internal fees and expenses. And if you couple that with the average uh, a management fee ratio, management fee expense in one of the legacy distribution system managed programs that are pushing a percent and a half. Well, now you're looking at over 2% in uh, total fees and expenses in a managed portfolio. And that is just absolutely way too much. The most important thing to, to remember and you know, maybe learn from this today show is the easiest way to increase return in your portfolio 
is to keep your expenses as low as possible. That's the easiest way to improve returns. And just for example, our moderate asset allocation model and our asset builder program has an annualized fee expense of 0.31% for the underlying investment options. Based on the investment options we currently own. That's correct. So we're always available here for portfolio review and analysis, and you can reach us at 800-275-2162. And with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So for listeners of the Money Wise program on 1200 WOAI, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend show. You can catch the second hour plus past Money Wise shows on our website at davidsoncap.com. And for listeners of Money Wise and Corpus Christi on 1360 KKTX, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and and really more importantly and more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found for MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and th- there would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning and what i what i call it when i work with our clients or prospective clients i call it financial road mapping that's just the the name i've given it uh, myself 
as far as what we do for our current clients, for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement, just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg, this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis, and this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because – Again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire, you've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million, that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle and have upsized their their homes and their lifestyle. I I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size. It's not a huge sample size, but, again, it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's, here's my nest egg, I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement, how much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule to be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in, and we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, but that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the extremely low interest rate environment, some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between 2 and 3%. I mean, that's just that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion, 
the way we view this, this the four percent rule, as as you talked about, Kyle being used by our competitors and on Wall Street, we've kind of looked at as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way, they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their four percent maximum rate of withdrawal. Uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to two or three percent maximum withdrawal rate per year, that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with with a four percent rule. Right. So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars. And you're telling well, you can only withdraw two percent a year. That's twenty thousand dollars. Well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, ten-year bonds, right now, exactly, you don't need any of this. You can get right at two percent. Exactly. So you don't. You don't need to go to Wall Street to get a two percent withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own, dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the Treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement And some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management. Uh, But also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset. And some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice the 4% rule, closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year, but they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%. And some of these 
folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets and outside accounts, because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you, or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets, or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's what—that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. Um, but, you know, one thing that, that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time, as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, where you know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity. And I hate to even use the word annuity, <laughs> but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend at Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account, and then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out, you get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, at, at our at our firm, the 6 to 7% withdrawal rate rule where you're part of this group that's taking out 9 10 11% of your investable net worth well, by, well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a 401K, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, An example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs, and those golden eggs are capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start 
of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, Why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter? You know, doing it that way. Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal. And it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. It's If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals... It can force sales that you don't want to make. And it may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you are, you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that would have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true, but it averages out over the life of the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start, I mean, when we, we know you start taking out more than 7% a year, you run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. Twenty five years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since nineteen eighty nine, and there we're gonna have wild and woolly markets for the next twenty five years. And so you start doing that and you are going to run out of money. And I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't, I mean, it's their money. We are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel, and we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear. A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure Retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt free, and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we sh- should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement. Maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating it. No, re- you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are, and I'm going to use the term "quote unquote" retiring because they're not actually retiring; they're changing careers, and they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would 
take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and the, the, the problem that we have as, as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that is this new endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time? If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10, 12 years away from retirement, and you take a million-dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a that's a that's a question that I that any that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money, and in many in several cases we've had you know one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. No. You should go out and and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it. Maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our education of about retirement spending and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. We've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement, wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before. So that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. You know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes 
on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And and the thing that that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate, because we we get it, we understand. Folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's 3.5%. No, don't pay cash for it because just utilizing our our asset builder, our moderate allocation, our asset builder, our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is 7%. So I use 7% as the rule of thumb. If the interest rate is below 7%, you finance it. If the interest rate is above 7%, okay, we can discuss paying cash for it because, again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and, and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again? To right. pay for those income taxes, so, your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4% on $20,000. You know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my memory, if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, what was that three thousand dollars in, in income taxes that you're going to have to pay pulling that money out. So you're giving up. $800 a year in additional income, compounded, and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost say you it's a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know that those are, those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff. If if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate. You really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off. 
before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining. You don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now, here you go again, you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out eight, nine, ten percent a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare. The oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't if you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. Yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens, and I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non-publicly traded 
REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds. Or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else. Right. Taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah. Roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension, and that's it. Because once you lock yourself into taking that pension payment. You're done. You, you, that's, the, that's it. You're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life. And then once those two, typically, once, once if you choose the right, the, the particular option where you get, you get a pension payment for your lifetime and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime, there's no other assets going to the uh, estate. And it's not; those payments are not adjusted for inflation. So every month that goes by, that pension payment is buying less, and they're also not guaranteed. That's right. No matter how strong the corporation is, and I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement. And I was talking about taking pension payments. And we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension or if you have, if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer, the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged are not adjusted for monetary inflation. So what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, 
And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is it's been a it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than three thousand dollars a month. So, if you're receiving a four or five thousand dollar monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC, yeah, you just sliced you just sliced your regardless pension payment. of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows, some horror stories concerning these pension payouts, and I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal, is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years, and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox receives a letter stating, oh, we've overpaid you over the last 10 years, $150,000. You need to pay that back to us immediately, or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment. It's rare. It's rare. It's very rare. But it happens. One thing that struck me was was this um, that was on page two of the... uh, Going back to the article... Uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. Um, the Roadmap for Policy Makers and Americans' View of the Retirement Crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today, today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity and unfortunately these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation and we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program cuz not enough Folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this guaranteed amount quote, of money. Quote, unquote, guaranteed. In the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age 65 or 66, you're not going to like it at age 78. Seventy nine. I, I I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, word. yeah. That's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm you know I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm not. You know I I'm not retired. Retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to give, take less know, money try, and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this But is, that's fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed, this is fear. This, this is this the is, 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about 
last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to the, do the, if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed, create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401Ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in in, in accumulating retirement assets now because taking a, ex- accepting a lower salary for in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement that's baloney. The, 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 what it's, it's just never that this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comf- a comfortable retirement, retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So, so pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now and, and if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend into your financial health." We will talk to you next week.